0: Welcome to the People First Leaders podcast. My name is Doug Utberg, Marine Corps veteran, founder, and CEO of Expendereviews.com, and I have absolutely nothing to sell you. The purpose of this commercial-free show is to honor the leaders who approach life as go-givers by putting their people and customer value first. Stick around until the end of the show, and we'll reveal how you can be our next guest in about twenty minutes. Let's go. We have Jenna Spencer with us today. So Jenna, if you could just introduce yourself here, just a couple minutes, just tell us a little bit about you and your company and uh, what it is you do.
1: Sure. So hello, thank you for having me. I'm Jenna Spencer and I live in, well, the outskirts of Greenville, South Carolina. So I'm on the East Coast and we just recently moved to what we're calling our hobby farm. So it has all the makings of a farm but not actually farming so it's been very interesting i have a lot of stories about that we have lots of cats and dogs and chickens and you know a lot of non-farming animals i'm a mother of 3 so i have middle schooler high schooler and a third grader and just full full life so i am the founder and visionary at assist pro which is an executive assistant agency. So we provide outsourcing for virtual executive assistants and really leaning into matching. So finding the right fit for our clients. We work with entrepreneurs and business coaches, and we also do assistant training and we have a community aspect for all of our assistants as well. So I got started, let's see, about nine years ago and I became an assistant to two business coaches, EOS implementers. I'm not sure if your listeners are familiar with EOS or not.
0: That's the Entrepreneur Operating System.
1: It is, yes. And so I became an assistant to these two EOS implementers and they poured so much professional development into me and really helped me see the power of delegation in someone that was being delegated to. And it was really an amazing, amazing opportunity and journey and then six months in, they said, hey, Jenna, EOS is growing. EOS implementers need assistance. You know, it'd be really valuable for those assistants to understand the process and to help them run their practices. Have you ever thought about having your own company? And little did I know that I was really a visionary in hiding because I had not had access to that type of professional development. And you know, just a lot of various things that led up to that. And so I knew that I had other women in my network at that time that wanted to work from home because this was pre-COVID, pre-everyone working virtually. And Assist Pro was born and we now have almost 120 assistants on our team.
0: Wow. Okay. So I'm trying to think where to start. I I just have to say the cats, dogs, and chickens uh, (laughs) are of interest to me because uh, so my wife and I, we live on three acres in Oregon. And, but we have uh, two dogs, two cats, and eight chickens.
1: Okay. We have three cats, two dogs, and 25 chickens. And then we also have some lizards and turtles and rabbits in there too. So
0: <laughs> Outstanding. Okay. Well, let's see. So I think you, are, you already told us a little bit about how you got into uh, your current business, but could you just kind of go down the rabbit hole a little further?
1: Yeah, sure. So let's see. Anything specific like on the rabbit hole, just like how, how I found myself in that arena? Because, yeah,
0: or... just, yeah the, at least one of the things that I've found is that a lot of us who end up in some entrepreneurial endeavor usually ended up there only somewhat on purpose. Mm-hmm. It's because there's typically some kind of trigger event or some type of situation that requires a shift. Now, there are some people who have the inner capacity to do all of that consciously. I am not one of them. (laughs) And I found that a lot of people are not wired that way either. And so I like to hear people's stories.
1: Ah, okay. Well, that definitely resonates with me. So I did not pursue this intentionally either. I would say that my company and my entrepreneurial journey began purely from a state of desperation. So I am a trauma survivor is what I say. So I've had a few key pieces of things in my lifetime from childhood even that have really shaped who I am today. And some really great things have come from that. I mean, the first thing really was when I was 12 years old, my dad suffered a traumatic brain injury. And so for people that suffer head injuries, you know, they really become kind of a a different person emotionally, you know, they have to kind of rewire emotionally and all that. And so all of that was taking place when I was a 12 year old girl. And so there was just a lot of lessons that I look back on that it really equipped me with for my future in terms of perseverance and being independent and really being able to think for myself. And so kind of fast forward many, many years, you know, there were lots of, you know, valleys and all the things along the way. But when I found myself looking to work from home, it was really to get out of the corporate world. And the only way that I can explain it is that I felt like a fish out of water. You know, I felt like that book for kids, like a fish in a tree, you know, like fish are wonderful. But if you put a fish in a tree, like what happens to that fish? It's not that environment. And so I didn't understand it, that I was a fish out of water, but I felt it. And I really felt like this doesn't feel like it fits for me. I'm not happy in this arena. But these were all the things I had told myself. Leave home, get educated, 401k, PTO, all the things. Get in, climb the corporate ladder somewhere.
0: Wait a second. I'm going to use my powers of cognition. Gen Xer?
1: Yes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Ask me how I know this. (laughs) How do
0: you go? <laughs> because I'm a Gen Xer also. I was like, you know, Go to school, get good grades, you know, go to college, get good grades, make sure you have a good job, make sure you have a career path, make sure you have a 401k, buy a house, buy a bigger house, get it, you know, the, just all the list of stuff you're supposed to do.
1: All the things. Yes. Yeah. So I had just well, actually, I was pregnant with my third child. And I thought, you know what, I just don't want to do this. I just don't want to do this, you know, and I because of my past and because of a few different things, but one being my dad, I really had an awareness around once seasons are gone, like they don't come back. So I've always been fully aware of the season I'm in with my children right now that won't come back. I don't get that season again. So I just kind of had this substantial emotional shift where I was like, hold on a second. I don't want to go down this path anymore. Yeah. And so believe it or not, I got hired by the two EOS implementers through a Craigslist ad. And, you know, so I was applying for all these jobs. So my husband says, watch out when I get my mind on something because I don't let it go until it's done. So I started applying for everything. And this was back then when, you know, there weren't a lot of work from home positions. It was really insurance, cold calling, direct sales, things like that. So I just started applying and I started applying in metro areas around us. And I'll never forget that one ad I responded to and they had it listed in Atlanta And I said, Hey, I would be willing to come to Atlanta once a month. I'm getting, and I just kind of put my heart on my sleeve and I said, I'm getting ready to have my third child. I've been in corporate banking. I've been in management You know, I do have experience, but I really want to take a step back. I just want to be an assistant part-time. I really want to enjoy my family. And lo and behold, it was those two EOS implementers. And they really exposed me to professional development for the first time because I had never been entrusted with details that would impact someone's life. And they're like, okay, I'm going to Alaska. Can you book a car for me? Or, you know, can you do this for me with my family? And so not only did I have an actual impact on their lives, they were giving me books and professional development and it literally changed the course of my life. And now the lives of 120 assistants on our team. So it is, I love the evolution of the story because I really am a completely different person today because of that experience.
0: The personal development part resonates with me because at least one of the things that I've noticed, because yeah, I, I came from a corporate background as well. I had a 20-year corporate career. I have a Audible library that has grown very fast. And yeah. you know, I tend to consume a lot of podcasts, a lot of audiobooks. I try to do as much professional development as I can. And the thing is, and when you're in a corporate environment, of course, every corporation is going to say they want you to develop professionally. But what ultimately happens is that that professional development only matters if the decision makers decide that you are the person to move up. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you can develop as much as you want, but unless the gatekeeper gives you permission to move up, you're not going anywhere.
1: Totally. I didn't even think about it that way. That's really great insight.
0: It was developed over many years of frustration. Mm-hmm.
1: There's a personal <laughs> uh, story there.
0: Oh <laughs> well, yes, exactly. Yeah. I have my own therapy time coming up. Okay, well, so in keeping with this theme, tell me about the biggest setback you encountered in your life and or career, and how did you overcome it? I mean, you, one that you mentioned was your father having a brain injury when you were 12. I mean, I just think about when I was 12. You know, that's probably one of the most insecure times in adolescence. That feels like really unfortunate timing for having to go through a significant family trauma. But again, don't let me put words in your mouth.
1: Yeah, well... That probably has been the biggest setback for me. I mean, every entrepreneur goes through setbacks, right? So I, I also have lots of business setbacks as well. But that was probably one of the biggest just because it happened at such a time in my life when there was a, so much growth happening, you know, and so much change and then having to kind of figure out what that looked like. So I really honestly did not overcome that until I was really in my 20s and was really apparent. You know, when you go through trauma, like you just kind of go into autopilot, and you kind of go into just getting through the days. And one of my former coaches just said, you really need to do like your, your few years on the couch. And really started therapy in my 20s, really, you know, I kind of been in therapy because of that, obviously, when I was younger, but really, breaking through some limiting beliefs and things that I hadn't been even been able like to tap into mentally because your brain protects you. And so it shuts down and you're not aware of a lot of things. Right. So just a whole awakening of just realizations from an adult perspective has been just so life changing and really fulfilling for me now being on the other side of that. But as far as like a business setback, you know, I have had a pretty substantial business setback. I mean, everyone went through COVID and that was a big setback in itself. But before that, I actually had to completely change my team around and the leadership team that I had put together for the first four to five years of the business. I had to completely disassemble that team and put a new team back together about the five-year mark of Assist Pro, And that was very, very hard.
0: I really like hearing these stories because I'm just going to rant a little bit, because I think the thing that happens in the social media age is that everybody's highlights get posted, right? You know, somebody says, you know, how I became a seven-figure entrepreneur in three years or less using YouTube, you know, how I built a hundred million dollar empire, you know, how I blah, 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 blah. And it's like, Okay. Yeah. You know, real life for the rest of us works like this. You have an idea, you have a little bit of success and then you hit a wall. Yep. And then you might have to take five steps back before you can take 30 steps forward. But nobody cares about your journey while you're taking those five steps back. Right. And so that's the, the, the thing that I've become really sensitized to is that, you know, in order to make it two great achievements, you have to go through epic failures, mm-hmm. but nobody's interested in hearing about those until you've reached the other side of the chasm. you know, until you've gotten to that big success and you have the, the however many, how I, whatever big achievement in, you know, disturbingly short period of time. Right. Just a part of my thing is I would rather bring some more reality to people's lives because we're all going around comparing ourselves to people's highlight reels. I just don't think that's healthy. So anyway, oh rant over
1: (laughs) totally i could not agree more oh my gosh so it's interesting because when i had to make that decision well i chose to make that decision i could have chosen not to i don't know if i'd still be sitting here today or what the status of a pro would be but i chose to make that hard decision and that really came on the heels of my harsh realization the harsh truth that once I hit a million in revenue, that everything was going to be easy. So I had this notion the the climb to a million is going to be so hard. But once I get there, I'm going to know everything and then and it's going to be wonderful. And I'll never forget I was on the phone with a couple of potential mentors and we were talking and I was like, yeah, I'm going to own a $10 million company. Pro is going to be $10 million. And they said So are you sure? Like, are you really sure that you would want to have a $10 million company? Cause you know, you have $10 million problems with a $10 million company. And I was like, and so they said that. And I remember thinking, no, they're just kind of sick. Really? $10 million problems? No. Cause once I hit a million, I'm going to have it all figured out. And then it's going to be great. It's going to be easy. I think I cried for maybe 24 hours straight (laughs) after kind of hitting that million. And that's when we had that initial kind of the bubble burst, right? You had all that initial growth and everything was great, rapid growth. And then you needed more infrastructure and you needed more from your team and more for the company. And then the wheels started falling off. And I was like, oh, my gosh, what have I gotten myself into? This
0: like, business that's very heavy with labor. People assume, oh. I have a million dollars in revenue that must mean I have a whole lot left over at the end. Yeah, not necessarily. <laughs> Labor-based businesses typically your best case profit margin is around 20 to 30%. Yep. A lot of cases it's lower just because, yep. right? You know, the what you earn is the difference between what you pay your people and what you bill the client. And if you pay your people a salary, you are unless you're billing out 100% of their time, you are subsidizing some of that time that you're not able to bill. And I think that's one of the things people think there's a really big difference between revenue and profits.
1: Yeah. And that was also one of the harsh realities for me because I'm like, well, where's all the money? I like, I thought I was going to have a million dollar. Where's all the money? <laughs> Where is my bank account? Not have more money in it.
0: So I also and then, realized. And that's when they'd say, okay, and now right. multiply this by 10. Is that right? what you want?
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. And then I was like, okay, hmm, wait a minute. And so. It's been interesting because now whenever I hit a new growth metric, because now we're bumping 5 million, it's like, okay, now I'm preparing myself for, okay, so there's going to be something new to learn like around the corner. And I just thought, you know, up to a million kind of, I was like, I had my core team of people together, but you know, I didn't really have a right hand and I was a visionary and didn't really know it. So that was the first way that I overcame that was I made that investment into a right hand. So in the EOS world, that's my integrator because we run on EOS. And so my integrator came in and, and I'll never forget, I hired her fractionally and she said, oh yeah, you you need a full-time person. You don't, you don't need fractional help. You need like life support. And I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> it was looking back on it now, it is so funny. But in the moment, I was just like, what? But okay, there. I thought at a million, everything was going to be great. Now I have no money and you're telling me I need life support and I got to put my team together differently. Like what is going on?
0: (laughs) Oh, goodness. Isn't that just the way it goes? Okay, well, let's take a little bit of a turn and tell me about, you know, as you've gone on this way, what's the biggest lesson you learned about delegating while still developing leadership in the people you're delegating to? Because I think that can be, Actually, I think you have to delegate really to develop leadership, but you know, how is it that you can, you know, because a lot of people, especially people who are like, say, founders, there's a tendency to feel like, okay, nobody can do it as good as I can yep. and letting go of that control. How do you do that? What, what have you found is really the secret sauce there?
1: Yeah, great question. So I think there's a few key things there. So the first is that, yes, we always think that we can do it better do it faster. It's hard to tell someone. It's hard to delegate to them, it, you know, but they're not going to know what I need. And you know, maybe it takes me too long to figure it out, to even tell them what I need to do. So the first thing is you have to have the right support or the right people for you, whether you're delegating to an assistant, to a department, to anyone in your life, in your world, you have to be delegating to the right people for you. And so what I mean by that is there are lots of people that can do the job, but you have to have that kind of trust there and you have to be able to communicate with that person and you have to kind of be on the same wavelength, on the same page in order to trust that things are going to get done. Because it really boils down to two things. So one is it's really not the right person, meaning they can't do it, they can't execute on it, or the block is with you. And not being able to kind of understand that long-term value of delegation, because you can keep doing it. You can work yourself into the ground. You can burn the candle at both ends and all of those things, but you are acting as your own support because you're doing it all. And so really delegation really does affect bottom line profit and bottom line numbers, because think about as a leader, you're so busy, right? And you're operating at such a high level Like what more could you get accomplished with one or two key people, your right hands executing for you rather than you doing everything, you know, it creates horsepower. And so as a leader, it helps you get better because as a leader, we're always leveling up. We're always thinking about what's next. We're always thinking about what's out in front. We never have any time, right? I've never met a leader. that's like, yeah, I've got an extra 10 hours every week. You know, I can just add this in. So what delegation does is when you're able to delegate, it creates this little pocket of space, which is that capacity. It's that thinking time. And so when you're able to delegate, it creates that cycle. It creates that capacity and it creates that movement for the leader specifically. Now in developing leaders and developing your people, you know, I'm a firm believer that great people want growth and great leaders want great people. And so, if we're not delegating, you know, how are they going to have the growth? Just like you talked about in corporate America, unless we're putting you up for this particular role, then really the professional growth doesn't even matter, right? Like it matters for you, but well, how is that going to be used like in the workplace? So delegation is this powerful tool when you can harness it and you can trust and delegate because it really helps those people grow and those people want to stay and then those people really get some key benefits, you know, they feel empowered, and they feel trusted, and they're getting opportunities for growth. And so I'm so passionate about it, because I was on the other side of that, I was being delegated to and I'm an entrepreneur sitting here in front of you today, because of the power that someone else gave to me and trusted me as their assistant, delegating to me. And so just I didn't leave them hanging, just FYI, got them really great assistance once I moved on, but that's really, to me, the, the power of delegation because it really creates this horsepower because it helps your team get better, helps them grow, but also creates capacity for you. It creates that space to be able to breathe a little bit or to be able to do more and to grow. So it's kind of that, this cycle, this pattern that creates this momentum and energy.
0: My background's in finance. And so the thing that, uh, that I always, uh, or that I observe is that you'll have, say you have a business that'll start growing. And then what'll usually happen is the founder will just be going crazy. No time going crazy. So what you do is bring on some help, you delegate. Now you say, oh my goodness, the money's all gone <laughs> because I have to pay these salaries. We need to start growing. And so I think that's, you know, as you were talking about, right, the you know, $100,000 problems, $1 million problems, $5 million problems, $10 million problems, because every time you go through these other phases, there is more structure that is necessary. And that structure doesn't just happen. And it involves cost. So that yeah. means your business has to change every time you break through one of these thresholds.
1: Absolutely. And it's really that investment into your company, really growing.
0: All right. Well, let's take a little bit of a turn then. You don't have to reveal any confidential information, but tell me about kind of the, the biggest win that some of your clients have had from using delegation assistant leadership development services?
1: Yeah. So there's really a few different aspects. So the first one is really learning the practice of delegation that work for them, because delegation is an action and your delegation practices change as you grow, right? So you were just talking about hundred thousand million, five million, and you need more structure. And and it's an investment kind of at every stage. And so delegation works the same way. You know, what worked for you delegating at one place when you're going through another level of complexity as a leader, your delegation kind of, it needs to change and go to a different level as well. And so the biggest impact is really clients telling us, I can delegate. And I can trust and things are getting done and I have time to do other things or I'm not as stressed out or I can't live without my assistant anymore. That's typically what we hear is, oh my gosh, my assistant is so valuable to me. And so in thinking about delegation, you know, a lot of people will try to go too far too fast and then they wind up pulling it all back. So with the process that we implement, it really gives people a do-it-at-your-own pace delegation, because some people need to move slower than others. And so that is really one of the big valuable pieces is like, oh, delegation is working because I found a process for delegation that works for me. And it helps them get into that pattern. The other thing is really, you know, we provide professional and personal support. And so we are a high-level executive assistant service. So that's kind of what I can relate it to. And so our clients are getting support in different arenas of life. And really, I learned about this concept a couple of years ago, but it's called the work-life balance or the work-life self kind of scale. So you think about life and the work-life balance, right? Well, the scale is not ever completely balanced. Like, you know, it doesn't really happen. But I know for me and for my clients, when I think of work and life, life is all the things in life. Life isn't Jenna. And so we kind of have this trifecta for, you know, me, it's work, it's life, and it's Jenna. And so when we are helping our clients, our assistants are really looking for ways to support in those three areas. And so we have clients that are professional athletes and entrepreneurs. And so it's just really great to hear our clients say, I actually have time to train now. My assistant planned my family's vacation. And because what happens is when any one of those three areas is off balance for an entrepreneur really we're suffering in the other areas as well too. So it's also understanding where you need the support because that's going to benefit you in all the other areas of your life. And sometimes people don't think about Those are a couple of the biggest value pieces that we see and hear about from our clients.
0: Got it. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I'm fond of saying is that anytime when you look at somebody's life and there's an aspect of it that looks completely perfect, that means there's some other part of their life that's an enormous steaming hot mess. Yes. Because there's absolutely no way to have everything run perfect. So like, you know, for everything that look, you know, like if your house looks like a pottery barn catalog, then most likely there is an authoritarian regime going on in the back channels to make sure that perpetual state of visual perfection is maintained.
1: Absolutely. So both of my boys have just started travel soccer. Okay. We are now, you know, two hour practices, multiple nights a week. And so we are in week three or four now of this season. And you know I got home last night and I looked at my husband and I'm like, how do do people do this? Like, it's such a big adjustment for my family. You know, and even I then leaned into my assistant and was like, hey, could you help me in this area? Because now my evenings are gonna be looking different. And, you know, it's just, something's always a hot mess. (laughs) Something is always a hot mess.
0: Yes, exactly, exactly. But I think the thing is that, That mess is a part of growth because the only way to have everything be completely stable and feel like it's under control is to never have anything change, which means nothing ever grows. Over time, what will happen is the process of entropy will basically take, if we try to make our life not change, it will eventually fall into decline just because any organic process needs to have Energy injected into it on a continual basis, or it will decay. Yeah, entropy works.
1: Yeah. Wow. Well, I don't have the. I'm getting a little woo-woo here. Yeah, no, that's okay. I don't have all the science that you do. I I do remember my business coach. We were in one of our EOS sessions, and I was having like a very emotional response to something new that we were going to try. I really don't even remember what it was. And he goes, Jenna. You know, when you're on the verge of a breakdown, you're really getting ready to break through. And I was like, wow, because I wanted this specific piece of growth, but it felt so uncomfortable. It felt messy. It felt like, you know, I don't really understand. And then he also said, well, you know, they don't call them growing pains for nothing. It's not growing easy. It's growing pain. (laughs) I'm like, well, there you go. So simple.
0: (laughs) When you said growing pains, you were giving me 80s flashback. Like good Gen Xers, we were all raised by the television. So.
1: There sure <laughs> All
0: right. We're talking about effectively delegating and you know, to be able to free up your time. So give us a little bit of the framework, right? You're talking about how some people go faster, some people go slower, kind of how do people achieve that result or kind of what's the secret sauce to being able to get it right?
1: Yeah. So I created a framework that is called the dash method. Mm-hmm. And the way to think about it is a relay race. Okay. Because yeah. in a relay race, like with delegation, you're not just going to so you think about the relay race, like they practice together, they run together and, you know, everybody's stationed where they need to be. The first person kind of takes off, you know, runs their part and they don't just collide into somebody standing still and just go, here, here you go, or completely stop and hand it to them. And then the other person takes off. There's kind of this slowing down the, while the other person's ramping up and there's this handoff and the other person takes it and runs with it. So. Just for the visual listeners out there, that's kind of the whole thought process of successful delegation. So DASH stands for download, ask, shadow, and handoff. You know, where I see a lot of people go wrong with delegations are like, oh, I have to delegate and I need to delegate all the things and I need to delegate all the things right now. And then they crash and burn because there's an immediate loss of control, right? In so many different areas. So the number one rule is you never delegate more than three things at any one time. And the more nervous you are about delegating, the more slowly you need to go. It also doesn't mean you're going to lose control of everything because you can control how you delegate. So the downloading portion is really just thinking about what is it that I want to delegate and where am how am I comfortable delegating this? Maybe I do want regular check-ins. Maybe... I just want to start with a couple of easy things. So you're thinking about why is this important to me? What value am I going to get from delegating this? Like in a perfect world, if I could delegate this, what else could I do? So you're really doing a brain dump as the leader, as the entrepreneur about what it is that I want to delegate. In the ask portion, you're really going to ask the person that you're delegating to do the first few steps, however much you're comfortable with. So for me, even though I own a company about delegation, I was so scared to delegate my email. So I had to go very slow. And I asked my assistant, my first ask was watch my email for an entire week. Just watch what I do. Don't touch anything. It's kind of a control freak with my email. <laughs> um, so you kind of go into this asking phase of what you're comfortable with. So Make it very specific if you're scared to delegate or you're nervous about it. Like, hey, can you draft this email and then I can take a look at it? You know, don't send it out. Put this on the calendar, but don't send the invite yet. Let me take a look at it make sure that it's right. So little things like that, finding out what you're comfortable with and making those initial asks. Kind of once you get into a little bit of rhythm with that, then you want to move into what I call the shadow phase. And that's where you are letting that person execute to whatever degree that you're know you comfortable with, with the growth in mind to really execute those things. And then you're keeping your eyes on it. So you haven't completely let go. And this is where you would be comfortable to say, hey, I really liked how you did this. Hey, next time, let's try this on this part. And then you're really shadowing and overseeing. And then handing off is really important because sometimes when people are delegating, they're delegating Individual asks versus letting someone take over the responsibility of managing it. Mm-hmm. And when you're handing off, you're really saying, Hey, I'm going to leave this in your hands now. You're responsible for it. We've identified these three things. With, if any one of these three things goes wrong, you bring it to me before you make a decision. You kind of put that framework in place, but then you let someone else manage it. And when delegating, it's so important to think about what's the responsibility of this thing that I'm asking. Because if you're saying, hey, I need lunch with this person, just schedule that, or hey, and you're delegating individual tasks, you still have to mentally process it and mentally manage it. But if you're able to delegate an entire responsibility like email, and now you do my email for me and you let me know what I need to review at the end of the day and things like that, you're actually handing off a responsibility that then you don't have to continually mentally manage either. Mm -hmm. So. I kind of threw a few extra things in there, but overall the process is go at your own pace, but continue to grow and continue to move forward, do regular check-ins. And so that Dash method was created for those people that are like, well, delegation sounds great. I understand the value of it, but how do I actually delegate? So,
0: Yeah, well, and one of the things that I would almost append with that onto that is to say, be kind with the people who you are delegating to. And in a lot of cases, right? Give people some rope. And then give them feedback and then give them a chance to correct it. If your feedback is you don't know, like a sledgehammer hitting a piece of sheet metal, it's possible that your assistant may not have the best, the type of experience that would make them want to stay around for a long time.
1: Absolutely. So I do have a course that kind of has all this framework in it, and there's all of those things in it you know, celebrating your wins and what are the key takeaways and doing regular meetings with who you're delegating to. Because we call it like the swoop and poop when you kind of come in and poo all over it when things aren't going right. But that person might have done a lot of really great things. And so it's really important as a leader to feed those people that want the growth and want to help and want to support also focusing on the positives. And so there's a lot of other things baked in there. So I'm glad you brought that up. It's very important.
0: And oddly enough, it seems to be the swoop and poop folks who are the ones who are always complaining how they can't find good people.
1: Yep. I would agree with that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, uh,
0: okay. Let's kind of take a little bit of a turn. And tell me what are some of the biggest misconceptions you see kind of what, what, what are that? Cause I just like things that are counterintuitive. What are some of the, you know, kind of some of the ahas or things that people have always said, you know, that, that's really surprising or I never really thought about it that way.
1: Ah, So we hear that a lot when we are matching clients with assistants, because okay. you know, a lot of people think with delegation, there's, first of all, there's a right way to delegate and, you know, I should be able to delegate and it should be easy. Well, kind of going to the first part of that. However, it's easy for you to delegate is how you should delegate. And so I think a lot of people get hung up on, I don't know if I'm doing this right. And there must be a right way to delegate. But it really comes down to, you know, everyone has different communication styles, you have different styles as a leader, your delegation style is going to be different. And so I always use the comparison of like me and my integrator. We have completely different delegation styles. If I tried to delegate like her, it would not work. If she tried to delegate like me, she would probably go crazy (laughs) because I'm a visionary and not very process oriented. But the other really cool part or the other piece of that is the kind of person you need to delegate to. So in the assistant world, I need a mom. I need someone that's going to gently remind me something three or four times. I need someone that's going to say, hey, don't forget, we've got to get matching Christmas pajamas for the family Christmas trip. And here's four styles that I think you guys would like. So I really need someone that I can talk to and talk things out with. I'm a verbal processor. And so it really give yourself that benefit of, well, what kind of person would I like to delegate to? And just kind of think through that because that's the kind of person you need to delegate to. And that's the kind of process you need to follow. It really is that simple. And we hear that a lot from our clients like, oh, my gosh, I really never would have thought of that. But this is working so well. I thought I needed a, you know, X, Y, Z type assistant. And this is working out even better than I thought. So those are really the two main things that we see a lot with delegation.
0: Got it. Okay. well, so now it's probably we get to have a little fun. Is there a question I should have asked you, but I didn't?
1: I don't think so. I mean, I've just loved having this conversation. So yeah, I don't think so.
0: Okay. So so now, next one is Do you have any questions for me?
1: How did you go from finance to podcasting, or are you still in finance and podcasting? Just curious about that.
0: So, what I did was I got my undergrad in finance from Portland State University because, well, I did two years at the junior college and then two years at Portland State because I had very little money and I was deathly afraid of student loan debts. So, I mean, my daughter's getting close to college age right now. And so, on the one hand, I am uh, very happy that she will have a college experience. On the other hand, it occurs to me that I had no college experience other than working and joining the Marines. Ah, <laughs> but anyway, putting all that aside, you know, I did my undergrad in finance, and then I up, i sold life insurance for a little while, but then I ended up getting on with Intel Corp, and I was there for about 17 years. The podcasting tie-in. Came because a friend of mine, he does turnkey real estate. at His primary business development mechanism is a podcast. It's actually called the Creating Wealth Podcast with Jason Hartman. If you're interested in hearing about, well, I was going to say real estate plus his perpetual stream of consciousness about all other aspects of life, feel free to check it out. I'm into it. But anyway, so then you know, I ended up moving in like in 2018, I ended up moving over to Lattice Semiconductor because for the last about five, six years at Intel. I was managing a data system team. And then, so I ended up being the program management office director over at Lattice. And then I got separated in uh, at the very beginning of COVID. Mm-hmm. I just hit the ground, 40 million other people, unemployed. What do I do? Well, so what I ended up doing was I, I ended up joining up with a consulting agency, well, or it's actually a franchise consulting company where what we do is we partner with businesses to help them reduce their expenses without layoffs. And so basically what we'll do is we'll go in and renegotiate or restructure the contracts and we just do it in exchange for a percentage of the savings. So it's a beautiful model because that's actually you. One of the reasons that I'm, things I'm passionate about is being able to help companies increase their profitability without driving layoffs. That is something that hit me very personally. And so then podcasting is one of the methods that I am using to reach out to either to potential clients or just to kind of get the word out and to develop some kind of notoriety. Because the thing is, you, you're in business to business, so you'll know exactly what I'm talking about, which is that you know, we all get hundreds to thousands of emails every day mm-hmm. and your response rates are probably less than 1%. And it is extremely hard to get and retain anyone's attention. To and so, what that means is, it's almost like you need to have some kind of way to generate authority, or either that or you have to be well funded enough to buy it. I'm not, so you need to have some way to generate intellectual property and authority, so that when you approach people, they will actually talk to you. For anybody listening, that is the secret sauce. Business to business in a nutshell is to get to the point where, when you approach somebody, they will actually talk to you. You don't even have to be, actually be that good once you talk to them. If you get to where people will actually talk to you, you'll close deals. Good to know. So yeah, so that's my story in a nutshell. Any other points of curiosity?
1: I don't think so. I've really enjoyed our conversation, so thank Likewise. you. Well, hey, I'll let
0: everybody know your website and where they can connect with you.
1: Yes, thank you. So you can find us at assistpro.com and there's all kinds of forms that you can fill out on the website you also can check us out on linkedin facebook i think maybe instagram too as well but definitely shoot us an email or connect with us on the website but very simple assistpro.com
0: outstanding all right hey jenna i really really appreciate your time today
1: thank you doug i had a great time thank you thank you
0: so much for listening to the people first leaders podcast If you are a successful People First founder or CEO who would like to be on this show, please visit peoplefirstleaders.net forward slash guest. If this interview resonated, would you please share it on social media? Just take a quick screenshot on your phone and post it on your favorite social channel. Then make sure to tag me at Doug Value so I can give you and your business a shout out on a future episode. If you know somebody who'd be a great guest Please tag them on social and include the hashtag PeopleFirstLeaders. I really love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We're releasing new content and episodes all the time, so make sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss any new episodes. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show, and they mean a lot to me personally. And also, I would like to connect with you on social. My handle is at Doug Value, or you can just go to peoplefirstleaders.net where all of the links are posted. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.